This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 189 of The Bugle, the world's predominant reason for continuing to exist. With me, Andy Zaltzman, live in London, but not just anywhere in London. This week we are recording in a very special location. (laughs) In Chris's house. <laughs> yeah. I'm in your house. I'm in your house. <laughs> and joining me, a man who is in George Washington's house, by which I mean America, uh, the north bit from memory. Uh, he's in your house, Washington. He's in your house. It's the man who is to equestrian dressage, what Elvis Presley was to equestrian dressage. It's John Oliver. <laughs> Hello, Andy. Hello, Bugler. So... What what a fascinating glimpse into the world of Chris you're getting right now, Andy. Yeah. Well, later on in the bugle, I'll take uh, take you all on a guided tour of uh, Chris's palatial abode. Uh-huh. But I mean, it is there is certainly a large gnome on a shelf, and uh, <laughs> that's uh, that I don't expect to uh, have to deal with when I'm recording. Well, Andy, oh, I went down to Miami last weekend. I had to go down because we had a surprise trip for one of the producers uh, who is leaving work soon. Now, Miami and I are not natural bedfellows, Andy. Miami <laughs> and I go together like Simon and Garfunkel. Not not Paul Simon, though. Simone Bolivar, the early 19th century first ever president <laughs> of Venezuela. We go together like Simone Bolivar and Art Garfunkel. We have nothing in common and even less to say to each other. Now, it was it was a lot of fun you know, hanging out with people from work, but it would have been even more fun to do that not in Miami. It's not a great place, Andy. It's not a good place. It's not an okay place. My friend White, Andy, uh, at one point looked out uh, from where we were sitting uh, to, I believe, give the accurate collective noun see a swimming pool of douches <laughs> and and he he said something which i think really encompasses the place perfectly he said this place is making me miss the wife and a family that i don't have <laughs> and i think i think that really is the perfect way to summarize miami <laughs> So this is uh, Bugle 189, available from soundcloud.com and all good electrical retailers. Uh, 189 (laughs) means we've now done the same number of Bugles as there were episodes of the sitcom Different Strokes, which, uh, of course, famously had to be radically rewritten after the first draft, which was set in a nursing home for highly strung pensioners. (laughs) This is the... uh, Bugle for the uh, week beginning Monday the 9th of April. Happy new tax year to all our British buglers. (laughs) And meaning it is 350 years since Samuel Pepys wrote in his diary, 9th of April, 1662. Is it just me or is crapping in a bucket and chucking out of the window getting a bit passe? And (laughs) 150 years since Abraham Lincoln invented basketball. When frustrated at the progress of the Civil War, he slumped back in his Oval Office chair and tossed his trademark stovepipe in the air in frustration. The hat landed on a high shelf, and Lincoln took out his anger by trying to lob a cantaloupe melon into it. After several near misses, he leapt out of his swivel chair, bounced the melon on the ground, and, uh, using his six-foot-four-inch frame, slam-dunked it into the stovepipe before springing off the shelf, shouting, Take that, the South. And uh, (laughs) on Tuesday, it'll be a hundred years since the Titanic, uh, the famous stunt ship set off on its maiden voyage, 
in turning to Knievel over a row of eight icebergs and through a flaming hoop. Uh, to achieve this with its weight of 46,000 tonnes, it would have needed to achieve a velocity of 2,374 miles an hour to be able to clear the eight icebergs. And shipmakers Harland and Wolf later admitted in the official investigation into the disaster that the ship's maximum speed of 28 miles an hour rendered the stunt mission, quotes, unlikely to succeed. So <laughs> might have stood a chance if they hadn't missed the launch ramp. We're recording the 6th of April, uh, Easter Friday, which I'll be spending like all good Jews doing some DIY, just anything that involves hammering. <laughs> and uh, coincides this year, John, I'm sure you don't need me to tell you this, with New Beer's Eve in New York. Oh. Are you familiar? Uh, it's the, um, uh, not specifically New York, in America, it's the uh, festival marking the end of Prohibition. Oh, I didn't know that. You're not, it's New, year, New Beer's Eve, not a big, uh, big thing. No. <laughs> Oh. I've never heard of it, and oh really? Well, it's on it's on Wikipedia, so I think you're missing out. <laughs> How are you intending to celebrate it now that you've just found out about it? Well, I guess find out some more about it to check whether it's actually true or not, which I still <laughs> doubt. <laughs> Top story this week: living in Antarctica. <laughs> oh yeah. All right, it's very icy, baby. It's pretty cold, all right. She was an Antarctican girl. Antarctica. <laughs> yeah, here to house some motherfucking seals. Yeah. Andy. The, wow, what the an South- audition. What the, an audition. The South Pole, Andy, as we all know, is one of the world's top two poles. Has been for years. We operate very much a two-pole system in this world, (laughs) and it seems incredible that throughout human history a third pole has not emerged to challenge the dominance of the top two. We even have buglers uh, listening from Antarctica, as we found out in an email a while ago. We have a bugler listening in a research station down there, presumably using the bugle to test what effects sub-zero temperatures have on extreme audio bullshit. (laughs) But the South Pole is not something that you think about. A lot, but we'd all miss it if it was gone. Or if you even skim-read environmental reports, we will all miss it when it's gone. <laughs> and it's easy to ignore the South Pole until bits of it are floating towards the ship that you're on. So let's give it a bit of attention this week. It was a 100 years ago that Captain Scott, the explorer, adventurer and greatest man ever to have the middle name Falcon. <laughs> that, that, that's a hell of a middle name, Andy. That if is. your middle name is Falcon, you better find a way of earning that name. Yeah. You had better get your ass to the South Pole or up a mountain once in a while or it should be forcibly confiscated. <laughs> so you, 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 rate, you, you rate Robert Falcon Scotts above Elvis Falcon Presley? I do. I That's do. controversial. I do. Go up a mountain, Elvis. Go <laughs> up a mountain. Earn the name. Uh, he, Scott, of course, famously reached the South Pole only to find out that Amundsen had beaten him to it. Amundsen, as Andy himself once described it to me, was a, and I quote, cheeky Norwegian c- Now, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think an English person had been so angry at a Norwegian since the Vikings turned up drunk and went on a pillaging bender. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, hundred years, as you said, since uh, the death of arguably the most famous silver medalist of all time, uh, Captain Scott, the polar Explorer extraordinaire, sadly not quite extraordinaire enough. Um, he popped his extremely cold clogs uh, in late March 1912, 
clogs pretty bad footwear for a polar expedition, I reckon. After he and his team were pipped uh, by Amundsen to the annoyingly chilly post. Uh, Amundsen, the Scandinavian shithead, as the British media called him at the time, or uh, Freddie Frosty Balls, the Financial Times went with. But um, the story is that after spending months trekking across the barren polar landscape, Scott and his team finally realised that they'd been beaten when they saw a sign in Norwegian saying, South Pole that way, losers, and then arrived at the pole to see the marks in the snow where Amundsen had slid over to the pole on his knees in celebration before ripping off his whale-skin T-shirt as the rest of his party jumped on him in a massive bundle and then found a solitary Vikings helmet in the snow and the name of the ancient Viking king Canute misspelt in big letters. <laughs> but some exciting new developments in the Scott story, John. I've recently unearthed some audio of the press conference Captain Scott gave the day after reaching the South Pole early oh, they, really? in 1912. And um, luckily we've exciting. managed to get exclusive access to that. Have here, we? Here on the view. That we have, seems John. an incredible scoop, Andy. Well, yeah, so, I, mean, I, just, I guess other media outlets were distracted by the phone hacking scandal and didn't, didn't bid for And we, we put all the bugle millions into it. So well, I think it was worth it. It's very interesting stuff. That's Chris, can you play it in now? Yeah, well, obviously it's disappointing to arrive at the South Pole after all the years of planning and months trekking across an obviously inhospitable continent to find that the boy Amundsen had got there first. But uh, fair play to the big Norwegian. Uh, he's done a terrific bit of exploration there, the lads. Cracking effort, and he's uh, come out on top. Well, on bottom, I suppose. Uh, fair play to Roldy. He was the better polar explorer on the day. But uh, I think we've got a lot of positives to take away from this one. Captain Scott, Julius Hardstash, Times of London. Do you have a message for the British Antarctica fans? You must be very disappointed at your defeat. Well, I, d- I don't really see it. Uh, I don't really see it as a, a defeat, Julius. Well, you didn't win, and now the fans want to know why. Well, uh, I think I think we can take a, a lot of positives away. Stop crapping on about positives. The fans <laughs> don't want positives, Captain Scott. They wanted you to come back with a Frobisher's Thermal Jockstrap's Golden Penguin Trophy to parade around London on an open top horse. You've let them down. Uh, well, Julian, uh, we, we, we gave it 110% out there. We've left it out all there on the ice shelf. And at the end of the day, that's all I can ask of the boys. Pranton Jalhoun, Tunbridge Wells Courier. Captain Scott, what is wrong with the British system for producing polar explorers? Well, I think we're oversimplifying things. We've got some terrific young explorers coming through. And if any more poles are discovered, I'm sure Team GB will be right in there in the thick of the exploring. Captain Scott, will you resign? Captain Scott, Mickey Strong, Daily Star. What do you think of film star Mary Pickford? Uh, Captain Scott, what about Mary Pickford's shin-length skirt that she was seen wearing on a beach last week? Captain Scott, Captain Scott, you got anything to say about the rumours linking you with the Arsenal job? Uh, uh, that's all. I don't want to take any more questions. I'd just like to thank our sponsors, Horns, Organic Low Fat, Crispy Penguin Beaks, Jurex Well Gut Condoms for Reduced Sensitivity, and Jack's Homemade Mahogany Sledges. No further comments. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Andy, I what? think you just brought down Chris's house price. <laughs> to uh, to commemorate this anniversary, people have been revealing details of Scott's final expedition, even some of what was on the menu. Now, wh- when they were at base camp, it was actually a pretty lavish menu on, on special occasions, meals ran to several courses. Salted almonds, turtle soup, roast beef, stewed penguin, crystallised ginger and champagne, all featured on such menus. Now... If you're anything like me, you only heard two words from that list. (laughs) And those words were stewed penguin. I love penguins, Andy, 
Yeah. They're nature's clowns. And it'll be a cold day in hell before I ever eat one of them, cold or otherwise. Penguins are too funny to eat. It'll be like <laughs> eating Bill Cosby. In fact, I would Again. eat a stewed Bill Cosby before I would ever eat a penguin. Fact. <laughs> but, I mean, you do have to ask, John, because, you know, it's, it's always been hard to get good quality penguin to eat, even in the most expensive restaurants. And you have to think when you look at Scott's reputation, it's swung up and down ever since. Some accusing him of costly errors, others saying he was a hero and inspiration. But we have to ask, did Scott go to the Antarctic in the spirit of exploration or because it was the only way to make socially acceptable his uncontrollable urge to eat penguins? Because <laughs> a, a man a man eats a penguin in London, he's a weirdo. A man eats a penguin in Antarctica, he's just eating local produce. <laughs> For those of you wondering what penguins taste of, uh, apparently it's uh, a cross between a gorgonzola and raspberry souffle, a pint of whiskey spritzer and a smoked hedgehog. It's actually much easier to study Antarctica now uh, than it was back in Scott's time, partly because there is much less of it. Uh, the European Space Agency announced just yesterday that a massive ice shelf in the Arctic Peninsula has shrunk by 85% in the last 17 years. I'm guessing that that is bad news, Andy. They weren't specific about whether it was, but I'm guessing that it hasn't shrunk by 85% in a good way. Uh, The amazing thing is that with all the technology we have now, there are still things about Antarctica that we don't understand, even what is under all of the ice, which is amazing. I just presumed that we knew that, Andy. I, I (laughs) I knew that I didn't know, but I just presumed that someone else did. I feel that way about so many facts. I don't know what the capital of Botswana is, but I presume that somebody does. <laughs> I sh- I'd assume that under the Antarctic ice sheet is uh, there's just some some evil megalomaniac with a giant rocket. Well, I think but, so. But just slightly regretting having concealed his secret hiding place and launch pad arguably too effectively. Well, that might be much more true than you think, Andy, because scientists have been using radar and other imaging technology to uncover what's under there. Apparently, under the East Antarctic ice sheet, there is a huge mountain range as big as the Alps, and they're also looking for hidden volcanoes. I love hidden (laughs) volcanoes, Andy. You never know what's inside them. As you say, it could so easily be an evil lair. My dream is to live in a hidden volcano, Andy. The only problem you got there is the lack of natural light. But I'm guessing that's what makes living in a hidden volcano affordable, especially if it's not in a very expensive area. (laughs) But uh, as you say, scientists, those self-proclaimed arbiters of measurable facts, those unrepentant users of research and evidence, have claimed that the ice shelf has shrunk by 85% in 70s. I can back that research up, John, because I put an ice shelf up in my living room last summer to try to keep my books fresh, and that shrunk by 100% within a day. So I can see, uh, you know, this, this for me, this, this rings true, this scientific research. But um, the European Space Agency uh, had been doing this research, using one of its satellites to snoop on the celebrity southernmost continent in the world. Uh, and with its hidden-in-space camera technology, it peeped on the Larsen B ice shelf, stripping off 85% of its ice. And that's a problem with satellite technology, John. When ice shelves know they're being watched by the scientific paparazzi, they just get paranoid about body shape and just start trying to lose ice for the photographs. It's been a bad time for the Larson ice shelf family. Larson B falling to pieces for almost 20 years now. Larson A disintegrated completely and died in 1995. 
Larson C just about holding itself together, but I mean, it's just, it's like the Jacksons all over again. <laughs> and to finish our Antarctic section, uh, a rather delightful quote from uh, one of Scott's contemporaries, I believe, an explorer called Apsley Cherry Garrard, who said, Polar exploration is at once the cleanest and most isolated way of having a bad time which has yet been devised. <laughs> is that true? Yeah. That is a great quote. China news now, and when you hear someone shouting, I need a wee-wee, you know it is either a small child still mastering the age-old art of bladder control, or it's the Chinese government trying to control the renowned artist and dissident, Ai Weiwei. And he's hit the headlines again, following on from uh, previous artistic stunts, including last year's hit piece of installation art entitled... Myself in a prison cell for no reason. <laughs> bit, bit modern for my liking, John. Why couldn't he just paint a picture of a horse like George Stubbs used to? And uh, also his uh, current interactive exhibition, Oh No, I've Been Grounded, My Government Doesn't Understand Me. And uh, he has installed four live webcams uh, in an effort to satirise the surveillance that the Chinese police have put him under 24 hours a day since his release from jail. That's right, Andy. He, uh, he is one Chinese artist who has been repeatedly speaking out against the Chinese government's human rights abuses. And when you do that, you can be sure of one thing, and that is that the Chinese government will provide you with food and low-grade lodging completely <laughs> free for the foreseeable future with fellow like-minded people who also thought it would be a good idea to run their little mouths off. <laughs> so, yeah, the artist in question is Ai Weiwei, or name not found if you Google search his name is in China. Uh, Ai Weiwei is both one of China's best-known artists and best-hated artists, depending on who you are. Uh, he is famous, which I guess makes killing him frustratingly difficult. Uh, and he's also the son of one of the Communist Party's most revered poets, making his criticism even harder to swallow. Uh, now, in April 2011, he was detained by authorities as he boarded... Uh, a plane to Hong Kong and held in a secret location for 81 days. He was freed on condition that he would not speak to the media, a condition that he has, in every sense, not kept. Surely <laughs> the Chinese government should know by now, Andy, that he's not going to do what they say. They need to try reverse psychology. Just release him on the condition that he do nothing but speak to the media in the most critical possible terms. Then they can just sit back and wait for him to take a vow of silence. <laughs> uh, instead, the government have been investigating him for so-called economic crimes and uh, several months later uh, served him with a bill for 15 million yuan, about two and a half million dollars in back taxes and fines. Now, I'm not an accountant, Andy. Uh, I don't know the full details of the tax returns in question, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that those accusations are at best convenient and at worst <laughs> complete bullshit. It is starting to look, though, John, that the Chinese government and Ai Weiwei are just never going to get on. I mean, it, it could it could just be you know, kind of a soap opera style, slow build up to a late flowering romance, but uh -huh. it just doesn't it doesn't look good. It does well, not look good, especially because he's come up with a new imaginative way to infuriate the Chinese government. He set up four live webcams at his home, putting himself under self surveillance in a nod to the 24-hour police surveillance that he's lived under for the last year. He said that by setting up the cameras, including one above his bed, he hoped to encourage transparency from all sides. Uh, he describes this project as uh, a negotiation between private space, the public nature of security, and the power of the state. Yeah, it's true. It's true, Andy. But it's also a good way to annoy the f 
out of the Chinese <laughs> government. Let's not leave that important detail out. <laughs> but perhaps, as you say, this is going to be the Chinese government's defence, that all their human rights abuses and restrictions on personal liberties are just a performance art piece as well, to make people <laughs> think about how it would feel to live under repressive conditions such as those. They're really posing the question, what is freedom, with their ambitious 9.6 million square kilometre installation piece? <laughs> If you are listening to this podcast in China, either everything has gone silent for the last few minutes or you're about to hear a, lo- a loud knock on your door. China is not a big fan of freedom. That's, that's the basic overall message here. China feels about freedom how I feel about the Dave Matthews Band. They just don't see the point of it and they find its popularity slightly depressing and occasionally infuriating. But, but not to worry. Luckily, China has found a clever way to defeat the rise of freedom, and that is to crush it mercilessly under a government boot. Take the internet. For instance, the World Wide Web is supposed to be just like that, worldwide. And it's also supposed to be the Wild West, an unregulated land where anything is possible, and banner advertising pop-ups shove the latest instalment of the American Pie movie atrocity series down (laughs) uninterested throats. China, however, sees the internet a different way. They see the internet like an irritating wasp at a picnic that must be swatted. And (laughs) the internet seems to view China a similar way. Although it's worth mentioning that Google has a different opinion, seeing China as a dominatrix under whose high heel they long to lie. But, (laughs) But the anonymous hacking group this week launched an attack on China, defacing almost 500 websites, including government sites, official agencies, trade groups and many others. Uh, They placed a message on the site saying that the attack was carried out to protest against the Chinese government's strict control of its citizens. The message read, Dear Chinese government, you are not infallible. Today websites are hacked. Tomorrow it will be your vile regime that will fall. The Chinese government presumably replied by sending a message back reading, Dear Anonymous, you have no idea who you're with here. China don't play that shit. You have just opened up a fortune cookie of pain and the fortune in it reads beware your own bullshittery today for tomorrow the next global superpower will fuck you in the face. Now it's it's unfortunate as well that Anonymous chose to post their message mostly in English so it will probably make exactly as much sense to Chinese people as if you put a similar message up on the FBI website in Cantonese. <laughs> But it was posted in English, John. But it was English that appeared to have been put straight through a uh, translation, bit of yes. translation software. Yes, that's Because it makes almost no sense whatsoever. Yeah. I'll just... Uh, a couple of words from the uh, message of solidarity with the oppressed that Anonymous uh, put up. Over the years, the Chinese Communist government, to unfair laws and unhealthy process, to control the people. Dear Chinese government, you is not never fall. And today the website is black. Tomorrow is your evil regime fell. (laughs) So, I mean, it's it's hard to know what to read into that. I mean, yes, freedom is good, but arguably grammar is better. (laughs) The the Chinese web surveillance system is more repressive than a Victorian sex education teacher who's allergic to the word penis. It's more constrictive than a Burmese python that has your balls in a nutcracker. I'm saying it clamps down pretty tight, Andy. Tighter than an oyster with an attitude problem. The system is one of the most comprehensive surveillance systems in the world, and it's known as the Great Firewall of China. 
In the future, Andy, tourists will come from all over the world to fail to look at what's behind it. <laughs> Apparently, astronauts can even Google it from space. The Great Firewall, which definitely sounds like something Evil Knievel would have tried to jump over. Second, second mention for Evil Knievel. Oh, oh yeah, that's a, that's a big, big, big week for Knievel. <laughs> uh, it, it returns no results for searches of banned terms, censors, chats and vets, blogs. Banned topics include the Falun Gong... Uh, spiritual movement and human rights activist Ai Weiwei. The uh, the system polices where Chinese people can go online and tries to restrict what they can talk about. Chinese censors are even actively targeting social media sites such as Facebook and Twitter to stamp out any discussion of banned topics. And you can't stop people talking about the things they most want to talk about. <laughs> well, I mean, you can. You can do that, or you can you can at least give it a very good go, as the Chinese are proving. <laughs> but you shouldn't. That's the point. It's like banning Belgians from saying the word waffle. It's what's <laughs> in their hearts. Without the ability to say the word waffle, Belgians would just stare blankly into space, making grunting sounds at each other. <laughs> <laughs> Testify. Bugle feature section now, and a very special property section this week, in which we are taking a tour around <laughs> our much-loved producer Chris's Lovely. house. Now, thanks so much for inviting us into your home, Chris. Uh, Pleasure. It's um, great to be able to go on this uh, tour around your house and and land. And <laughs> man, what a what a pad this is! I'm here in the living room here in uh, Chris's place in Hackney and. East London. It's, it's modelled, if I'm not very much mistaken, on uh, Nero's famous palace, the Domus Aurea in Rome, right down to the live dolphin in the pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, just don't put too much wasabi on his sardines. Now, uh, and the sofa, well, it's the ultimate in luxury, this elkskin sofa, but it also has a bit of history to it, Chris. I believe uh, you bought it at auction, and I believe this is the sofa uh, in from Downing Street, where in 1985, Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan came one badly timed knock on the door away from making out. <laughs> Lovely bit of history. So, um, and the draft excluder, uh, just by the door there, that looks... looks Eerily, un- unbelievably realistically like a boa constrictor. That is a lovely touch. I don't have ah, one. Ow, get it off me. Get that fucking thing off me. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Tell my wife I like her. <laughs> Into the kitchen now, and uh, well, it's quiet in here now, Chris, but from the look of the place about two hours ago, it was echoing to the sounds of the dying screams of some very angry livestock. <laughs> the Zanussi Home Abattoir. That's uh, How long have you had that? Couple of years? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You want to sharpen the blades on that, mate. They're not made to last anymore. <laughs> Into the garden now, and the sweet smell of hackney redolence in the air. And Chris, I have to congratulate you. That is easily one of the finest urban vineyards I've ever seen. <laughs> and a man who owns his log flume is a man who has your full and undivided respect. Up here on the battlements now, and uh, what a delightful 18th century siege cannon that is. <laughs> that should keep the local riffraff away. And finally, let's uh, let's just see what Chris keeps down here in his cellar. Oh my God! <laughs> can, can, can I go now, please? Please, go. I want I want to go home, please, Mister Chris. Let me let me go home. You can join in if you like. Your emails now, and uh, we have an email here from uh, James Lynch under the subject line, Assad, don't talk, just kiss. 
Uh, he says, I was amused to hear Andy speculate about the meaning of kiss in Syrian Arabic in the Bugle discussion of Bashir, Bashar al-Assad's iTunes favourites. Uh, having stuck... I'm sexy and I know it. What a, what a, <laughs> this is how I roll. Let's get pants all out of control. God, phenomenal song. <laughs> That's been in my head ever since we played that, Andy. It just shows... How, uh, it's been in my heart ever since. Yeah, uh, he, uh, he goes on to say, having studied Arabic in Damascus for a year, I can tell you that the fact uh, I can tell you in fact that the word kiss is almost the exact equivalent of the c word in Syria. <laughs> Thus, a favoured insult in many Middle Eastern countries is the charming kiss umak, your mother's blank. Now, I'm <laughs> I'm not sure what this might tell us about Bashar in terms of his fondness for the song "Don't Talk, Just Kiss," but. <laughs> I, th- I thought you'd want to stay abreast of the Arabic swear, swear words. Kiss or mac, Chris, he says. Oh, very nice. Um, it's, it's, I'm always interested in Arabic swear words, Andy. Yeah. That is a, you know, an endless well of profanity. That's right. Yeah. Uh, if you know any further Arabic swear words you think we should be alerted to, that's, do email them in. Well, that's, you're going to regret <laughs> asking that question. <laughs> to info at com. Or Bashir at Assad.Syria.com. <laughs> uh, this email came in from Pierre-Luc Gagné and had various uh, emails on this subject and uh, comments on Twitter as well. Uh, on the subject, Stephen Harper. Hello, Chris, Andy and John, in order of ability to get basic facts right about Canada. <laughs> Last week, John, you called Stephen Harper the President of Canada. Uh-huh. You moron! Stephen Harper himself did not put back the Royal in Royal Canadian Navy and Royal Canadian Air Force and replaced famous Canadian paintings in Ottawa with pictures of Queen Elizabeth to be called President. No, sir. Canada is a proud abuser of the Westminster system and a former colony of the UK. We therefore have a stupidly conservative Prime Minister just like you across the pond. Regards, Pierre-Luc Gagné. So that is us put in our place by Pierre and several other emailers about... (laughs) Yeah. But the question is, John, uh-huh. Prime Minister, President, it's still Canada it's at the still end of Canada. the day. It's still Canada, it doesn't matter. It's still Canada. You're burying matter. the lead there, the lead is Canada, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> and this came from James, who writes, on the subject, losing my job. That, that's a good subject. Dear John and Andy, while listening to your latest podcast, I found an interest in looking up what a pasty was. I made two mistakes. The first, of course, was listening to the bugle at work. The second was using Google Images instead of a regular search. It seems that pasty, or pasties, are, in fact, small glittery pieces that are meant to go over a woman's nipples as part of erotic shows. <laughs> really? I mean, that's... That's a Cornish pasty, as... on Anyway, it doesn't bear thinking about. I'm sure there's probably a website with that as well. <laughs> so imagine if you... There's nothing sexier than a Cornish pasty strapped... To a woman's nipple, Andy. <laughs> Testify. Imagine, if you will, a young male at work whose boss can easily see over his shoulder his computer. Now imagine this worker has a computer screen full of women mostly nude. I thank whatever God I don't really believe in that my boss was at lunch, or I'd probably have lost my job. So I'm misled in my subject line, but I feel this stupid little story deserves to be told to someone. From James. <laughs> well, well, that's pasty or pasty. That's Those are two words you do not want to get mixed up on various different occasions. Do keep your emails coming in to info at thebuglepodcast.com and don't forget you can listen to The Bugle on SoundCloud. Go on, do it now. 
sport now, and almost all sports are concerned with safety at the moment. Uh, ice hockey and American football are being forced to take a long overdue look at concussions. But thankfully, there is one sport stepping up to replace the element of reckless endangerment of human life, which is at the root of all great sport since the classic Christians versus Lions boxing <laughs> tournament of the Roman era. A new sport has been launched in the US called Taser Ball. Now, imagine in your head what Taser Ball might involve. That's right, it's that. <laughs> it's that. It is exactly what you're thinking of. It's described as a variation of sports like rugby, soccer, hockey or football, but there's a big difference. Each player carries a stun gun and is allowed to electronically shock whichever opponent is carrying the ball. Come on, Andy. It was invented by uh, three friends who wanted to make a game that they described as more intriguing than the usual sports. I don't know um, if intriguing would be the word I would use there as f***ing insane. (laughs) Ultimate Taser Ball, which is called UTB for short, pits two teams of four players against each other. Each team tries to get a medicine ball into the opposing team's goal whilst tackling and attacking the other team's carrier. (laughs) A stun gun manufacturer released a statement saying, Stun guns are designed to incapacitate people using electroshocks that disrupt muscle functions (laughs) and were intended to be used for defence purposes, not for sports. (laughs) Oh, shut up! (laughs) Just because they found a better way to use your product. (laughs) Yeah, ultimate taser ball. Personally, I've always preferred penultimate taser ball. I just don't like the feeling of finality. It just slaps your own mortality in your face like a freshly executed haddock. But it uh, it skirts that fine line, John, between aggressive policing and sport, which is, of course, how most sports began. And besides, you think this is violent, John? Have you never watched rugby? A, a taser is yeah. nothing compared to a 19-stone Samoan flying headfirst at your ribcage as if he's just been fired out of a cannon. The, the inventors of the game uh, said, just because no one intended... Sp- tasers for sports doesn't mean that they aren't good for them and I think that's a very very strong argument the same is true of the harpoon <laughs> only only a, only a few weeks ago Andy you for instance invented Olympic cycle jousting yep. now, sports have to evolve yeah I think well ta- I mean, taser wrestling in the Olympics you could see that really taking off because uh-huh. well, uh-huh. what is Greco-Roman wrestling no one really knows what it is it's just like Rolling around in a leotard, quoting Virgil, I think, isn't it? Um, but chuck a taser in, everyone's watching. In Ultimate Taser Ball, Andy, or UTB, players can get stunned between 35 to 40 times <laughs> in a game. Uh, and apparently they can give out between 3 to 5 milliamps. Apparently it feels like a rubber band snap. It's shocking, but it will only make you twitch or drop the ball. And it works on the nervous system, so no one will get immune to it, so we won't have to raise the level of the future to get the same effect. You won't have to, no. But you might find that you want to anyway. How else are you going to take ultimate taser ball to the next level? Ultimate turbo taser ball, lightning bolt level. The teams in the league are called LA Nightlights, the Philadelphia Kilowatts, uh, the Toronto Terror, and the San Diego Spartans. <laughs> but other impending franchises potentially include the Buffalo Ball Blasters, the Boston Incapacitators, the Sacramento Singers, and the Miami Of course, the origins of sport are often very interesting, John. It's great to see sport embracing uh, technology in this way, and I think other sports could learn from uh, UTB and uh, use similar technology to raise their audience ratings. And uh, 
Well, it looks like Peter's lining up the blue to the left middle here. This uh, could clinch him the crucial seventh frame. Oh, uh, what's uh, what's Alan? What's Alan doing here? Oh, tremendous tactics by Alan. He knew Peter was in a good position, so he's tasered him in the nuts. Oh, it was perfectly timed there. Perfectly timed as a super player. Terrific snooker. Uh, Taserball began, of course, after a gang of thieves stole a prize-winning pumpkin from a vegetable store, and police tried to fizz them with tasers um, as the robbers passed the pumpkin between them, and that's what gave these guys the idea. And it's very interesting seeing the uh, origins of sport. Lacrosse, John, began in late 17th century France in uh, Louis XIV's rat-infested kitchen. And the staff had to catch the rodents in a sieve or colander and then fling them to another kitchen hand by the window who would catch the flying rodent in his colander and hurl it out of the window into the moat. And they had to do this before the Queen, Maria Theresa, saw them because she really hated rats. And the word lacrosse, lacrosse in French, of course, literally means she is cross. Um, water polo <laughs> began with a food fight on the Titanic and uh, apparently the uh, last words of the captain of the Titanic were, I don't care if it's sinking, Marjorie, this is fun, now catch my cantaloupe. Uh, Rugby, of course, largely means of regulating homoerotic impulses in British public schools. And basketball, of course, the origins of basketball are very interesting. They were means used by early European settlers in America for knocking parakeet eggs down from nests in trees. In fact, until 1917, professional basketball was played with a Carolina parakeet in the basket, and a basket would only be confirmed if the parakeet squawked. Sadly, North America's only native parakeet rapidly became extinct due to the invention of the slam dunk, and the practice was ceased. Oh, hang on. I've just contradicted my own earlier lie about the origins of basketball. Oh, no, I'm confused. Oh, no. Caught in your own lies. I don't know what's real anymore. Baseball now, and to mark the start of the 2012 Major League Baseball season, and I don't know about you, John, but I'm going to watch all 2,450 games of it. We have a quick baseball quiz. Now, you have to tell us which two of the following actually happened in Major League Baseball. Uh, A, uh, Merkel's boner. B, the the strawberry cheese fake. Or C, Johnny Dickshot. Now... (laughs) Two of those are real, one of them is made up. Over a background. One of them is made up. <laughs> I'll give you a background on them. Merkel's Boner, not an undercover scoop by the German newspaper Die Bild, which, uh, when it comes out next week, could prove the most explosive story in German politics since, well, since... Ah, oh, let's not go into that again. But Merkel's Boner was, in fact, an incident in a Brooklyn Giants v Chicago Cubs game in 1908 when uh, the Giants' Freddie Merkel made a base-running error that cost his team victory. And it came for some unknowable reason to be known as Merkel's Boner, possibly related to him finding bottoms of ninth innings strangely erotic, possibly because of his trademark celebration when his team won a game in which he chewed an ox bone like a ravenous dog before throwing it into the crowd and shouting woof. The game had to be replayed as the final decisive game of the season. The Cubs won, the Giants were eliminated, and the Cubs went on to win the World Series for the final time 104 years ago. That's was Merkel's boner, the strawberry cheese fake, Daryl Strawberry, the Mets and Yankees legend. Uh, He uh, received a 20-game ban in 1992 for repackaging low-grade Danish blue cheese, passing it off as genuine Stilton and selling it at a 500% markup Uh in a food market in the Bronx. And uh, that was the strawberry cheese fake. And uh, Johnny Dickshot was Uh the nickname earned by Major Leaguer Johnston Harmettus in the 1920s. Harmettus of the now-defunct Washington Spittoons 
when batting with runners in scoring positions, would intentionally step into the line of the pitch and let it hit him in the groin. He would then collapse to the ground in agony whilst opposition players rushed to check if he was OK and his own teammates scuttled round to home plate to score. The dick shot earned Harmetta's 37 RBIs in the 1926 season before the uh, baseball officials closed the loophole that meant that balls which slammed players in the nuts were counted as fair hits, which had been introduced to trying to make the game more exciting in the 1860s. Harmetta's later explained that a childhood accident in which he was headbutted in the crotch by a hippopotamus on a school trip to the zoo had left his nether regions impervious to pain. So only two of those are real, John. <laughs> What's it going to be? I, I don't know, Andy. <laughs> I just don't know. I, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm caught in a web of bullshit, Andy. I just, I'm just waiting for a spider to kill me. Okay, well... Buglers, write your answers down now, and I'll tell you the answers in five seconds' time. And if you get them right, then you win the rights to play third baseman for the New York Mets for the rest of the season. And the ones that are real are A, Merkel's Boner, and C, Johnny Dickshot. <laughs> now, admitting my explanation of the Johnny Dickshot was not real. The, the strawberry cheese fake, I'm afraid, was made up. Merkel's Boner was the 1908 incident. And in the late 1930s, the Pittsburgh Pirates did have a player called Johnny Dickshot, which I mean, he uh, recently inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame stupid name section alongside the lights of the St. Louis Browns pitcher, Emil Bill Dilly. Uh, the Atlanta Braves player, wonderful, terrific Mons. <laughs> and, of course, the Detroit Tigers' immortal, Rusty Cunts. And <laughs> those, those are all real. I've got, no, I've got a bit of a boy who cried wolf issue going on here. But th- those were real. Um, Johnny Dickshot played for the Pittsburgh Pirates in the 30s. The Pirates franchise horse later taken over by an East African Islamic group, relocated and renamed the Somali Pirates. Well, it's been quite a bullshit heavy bugle this week. Sure has. and sure has. I think there's yeah. something about Chris's house which is sending your <laughs> brain into a very worrying place. And if you want to see more Bugle like this, uh, live Buglers, I have some gigs coming up <laughs> that you might like to come to. Uh, in particular, the uh, 13th of April in Reading at... Uh, oh, no, just... oh, for God's <laughs> sake, Andy. Also, the, the amount of lies that have come out of your face during this Bugle, I don't know why they would think any of what you're about to say is actually true. Uh, the 13th of April, Friday 13th, Reading, the South Street... Uh, venue uh, Bath on the 15th of April uh, although there seemed to be some doubt over whether that would go ahead but so check your local listings <laughs> and 18th in London at the Udderbelly the upturned purple cow on the south bank do particularly come to that because it is a big venue and it feels quite spacious when there's not many people in it 18th of April that's about it for this week's Bugle uh, thank you for listening uh, John, what's uh, what's in store for you for the next week? Uh, you know, same, <laughs> same, Andy. Work, right. sleep. Yep. Work, sleep, I'll... repeat. Yep. I'll probably go with sleep. Look up stupid baseballers' <laughs> names. Sleep. Look up some more stupid baseballers' names. Potato, potato. Yeah, that's right. Thank you for listening, Buglers. Do keep your emails coming in to info at thebuglepodcast.com and find us on SoundCloud. We forgot to mention them last week, so I've had to make up for it with three mentions this week. 
Bye bye. Happy Easter. Sorry for your loss. He's oh, back yeah. again. <laughs> guilty, guilty, guilty. <laughs> <laughs>